You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 12. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And today we're going to be discussing social media and does it reflect real life? So Thomas and I uh, off the air yesterday were discussing uh, a little bit and we want to discuss it on the show today about uh, our experiences with social media and how we both noticed a trend of uh, it becoming more and more disparate and polarized. And uh, we want to discuss today on the show with each other whether we thought social media, and I'm going to go ahead and name Twitter and Facebook, those being my two old man social media references, are they a distillation of magnification of people's true thoughts Or is it just a subset and humanity is still humanity and it's just just the vicious polarized nature of of social media becoming more vicious? So we're going to discuss that first. Then we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, an interesting election that happened yesterday. It may or may not be couched in our discussion of social media and politics. So first things first, social media. Thomas, what do you think about that? I just have one word for you, Justin. Harambe. Free so, for, so for those of you who don't know, Harambe was a um, gorilla that kidnapped a small child at the zoo. And the zookeepers had to shoot the gorilla to and kill it to keep the child safe. And normal uh, world reacted for about six hours to this news event. Social media world reacted for months. <laughs> there were memes and memorials, and it just seemed completely disproportionate for what happened. And death threats to the mom of the child for being a murderer uh, because she let her child get loose. And I don't know. I, I feel like there are there isn't social media. There are social medias, and you kind of find the bubble that you are, you know, are most comfortable with where what is being reflected to you is your perception of reality. And that's done two different ways. And Facebook, it's done algorithmically where what you see on Facebook is a mirror of yourself because of the algorithm. So if you're white middle class, you see lots of white middle class things. uh, And the people that you see are very similar to you. Whereas with Reddit, it's by topic. And you get to pick yourself kind of what bubble you want to be in. And what's at least nice about Reddit, which, by the way, is more popular than Twitter in terms of monthly active users. Uh, So it's not really Facebook and Twitter anymore. It's Facebook and Reddit. Uh, You can go and check out other people's bubbles, at least. (laughs) Whereas with Facebook, you're completely insulated from any kind of opinion that doesn't agree with you unless it's being held by one of your close friends. And uh, I don't I don't feel that social media reflects real life. I wish I spent less time on social media personally, but it's like a drug. You know, it's like cigarettes were in the early 1900s. We kind of know how dangerous it is and like how unhealthy it is, but we don't really know. And it's just kind of a dirty habit right now. Later, I think it'll be seen as something much more, much more sinister. I don't disagree with you on that one. Um, Social media by its very nature it uh it it's it uh manipulates the very basest of our instincts so uh whether it's uh food the need for water the drive uh for sex and procreation uh or our very basic 
uh, nature related to the to the sexual drive, which is our our desire to be a part of a group because we are social animals at our very most basic form. So, um, in terms of social media being an addiction, it's you know, it's it's playing very 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 deep to uh, our limbic system to our animal brains. Um, so, you know, not to get too all far off the tracks there, but, you know, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, there's times where I have to force myself to put it down because it's, it's so consuming. What an enormous waste of time, but it's so consuming and you just want to get back to it. And you hear that little, you, it's like a Pavlov, Pavlovian response. You hear that little ding and you just can't help yourself. I got in trouble with my wife the other day because she was talking to me and I heard a ding and my Pavlovian response forced me beyond my will to grab the cell phone and look at it and wee was she mad at me and i just couldn't help myself it was it was absolutely amazing you but, are the master of your fate dustin you you are the captain of your ship you are responsible for the decisions that you make in life i was not uh, you can't blame you are not a dog slurping at the sound of a bell you are a man <laughs> uh, that could be argued <laughs> Yeah, it's it is interesting how there there is some truth though in what you say in the sense that it is designed to trigger dopamine responses. The reaction can be very much drug-like. And studies do show that people who spend time on social media are sadder, more depressed and have less good real life interactions uh, and the more they spend on social media the sadder they get, especially when they're scrolling and consuming. So you have people who create and people who consume, in general, the creators are happier. So kind of at the top of the pyramid are like your bloggers and your podcasters and people who are creating or in your artists, like who are creating the art. Those are the people that are the happiest. And then there's the people who are kind of just scrolling past thing after thing after thing. And those are the people who are the least happy. And so uh, just keep that in mind <laughs> that uh, it does help if you want to have uh, your voice as a part of the conversation uh, that will help you enjoy social media more. Well, that's an interesting point. So I guess that brings us back around full circle to what we were originally discussing is, you know, I have, I have two thought. I haven't reached a definitive conclusion. I, I might not ever, but I have one thought which says that, there are very few people in our society today, and I specifically, we have a global society, no doubt. Social media has has made the world much smaller, but we we also have our 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 basic community, uh, the people around us, the people at work, the people our, our neighborhoods, and then we have you know the American the state community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't think there's very many people out there today that are in some way, form, or fashion not connected to some type of social media. So I wonder to myself, as I as I scroll through the Twitter, the old Twitter feed in the afternoon when when you know when I'm taking a break from uh, from real life, um, I'm wondering my to myself, is this is the polarization of our nation that rhymes, the polarization of our nation, is it the result of social media? Is it a symptom of social media? Is it really even a, truly a thing? Or is it just a confirmation bias because we see it every day because you and I are on social media that we think the world is becoming more polarized? So another way to say, if somebody who is not on social media, do they think the world is as polarized as it is right now? 
Well, I do feel like social media influences the discussion outside of social media. So if you turn on cable news, the conversation from social media often will get onto cable news. I do think, though, that if you avoid the news and you're not on social media, it has no impact at all. And I have friends who do this. They don't listen to the news or watch the news and they're not on social media and they have such better lives. <laughs> like there, there's a level of contentment that they have that I really kind of envy, which is really cool, which, you know, I, a bit, I realize is a bit, uh, disserving, right? Because we have a, uh, podcast about the news and we want you to share it on social media. <laughs> yeah. Please share our podcast. Uh, yeah. Please tweet and, and Facebook about this podcast and spread the word. Um, but there, there is a truth that, you know, if you can't change something, why should you know about it? And how much of the news is something that actually affects you? So a lot of people are really invested in Trump related news, either because they hate Trump passionately. I, I have a friend who hates Trump to the core of his being and can't acknowledge that Trump has done a single good thing and is afraid of him and is concerned that he's destroying the country. And he spends at least an hour every day following exactly what Trump is doing. I think the world and, would call that Trump derangement syndrome. And and I'm like, okay, this is making you miserable. There's nothing you can do about Trump. Like the election for Trump isn't for a long time. And you're in a state that is not going to vote for him under any circumstances. And so don't worry about it. <laughs> this is something that literally you have no effect on. And, and yet it, this is seven, seven hours a week that are being devoted to studying what Trump is doing. On the other hand, I know people who are hardcore Trump fans and every time he is attacked, they feel as if they are attacked and they feel like they need to defend him. And it's like, you can't change anything. The, the reality is, is that you know, there's only a handful of states that really influence presidential elections where your vote really matters. Like if you're in Florida, your vote really matters. If you're in Texas, it really doesn't. It's like, we're going to go for the Republican. Say what? It's bad to say, but it's true. Yeah. So the way that the electoral system works, each state's, Votes go in a lump, which is cause, one of the reasons why Democrats are losing right now. It's because they're all flocking to California where their additional votes don't ca count. If the extra Democrats in California were to spread around the country and move to places like Montana and Wyoming, suddenly the uh, Electoral College would be totally different. True, but they don't want to move there. <laughs> they don't. No, they like they to live in urban centers. Restaurants. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Democrats, it is interesting, really do like to live, do prefer cities. Uh, they like to be around other people who are like-minded in very dense urban settings. And they're not, well, they glamorize kind of nature. They don't, and they like to visit. They don't like to stay. <laughs> they don't want to actually live far yeah. away from <laughs> urban The ideal of nature versus the reality. <laughs> uh, Which I, I will say, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there, right? I, I like my fast internet and my short commute. I, I wouldn't want a suburban lifestyle where everything is a million miles away. So, so, you know, it may sound like I'm throwing shade, but I'm, I'm the city person on this podcast. Dustin's the guy who lives in the middle of nowhere where his internet has to come by little elves that like carry it across the ground and hope that it works every day. I absolutely love it. And there's bugs and there's snakes and there's all kinds of things that city people hate. And I just love it out here. Speaking of snakes, I hear that you're uh, considering communism. Is this true? 
You're reading uh, the Communist Manifesto? Thomas and his fake news. So uh, I'm not reading the Communist Manifesto yet. I just got done reading Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, uh, which is um, which is a, a book uh, by Saul Alinsky. Um, who was a big communist community organizer type of individual uh, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, he was a communist by ideology, a Marxist by ideology. And uh, he wrote this book about how to get your way, how to use the, how to use the have-not mob, how to mobilize the have-not mob, how to congeal them, and how to put them in, into an effective fighting force for your desires, for your end political goals. It's a fascinating book. I mean, he it's it's interesting when you find yourself agreeing on certain topics with somebody that's a known communist, which is um, as an ideal, I understand communism, but as a reality, uh, I deplore it. And I think I'm getting sidetracked here. But so what I mentioned to Thomas earlier, dear listener, was that uh, I had to go back and uh, reread um, the Communist Manifesto. I had read it previously back in college, which was a few years ago now, and I didn't appreciate it then uh, because all I want to do is read it so I can get answers for the test. And now I'm going to read it to get a better appreciation for what Marxism truly is because we have seen a a resurgence in Marxism. And uh, going back to the social media theme, Thomas, I think this is really related to whether it's whether it's a, a derivative of a social media or just a derivative of our times. The Trump was a Trump was a pendulum swing to the right of Obama by the hardcore right. And I think what you're going to see is the Bernie left uh, pendulum swing as a reaction to Donald Trump. And I'm wondering how far exactly the pendulum is going to keep swinging um, before things either calm down or get out of control. And so uh, my, my point to all this is, is that uh, in New York last night, uh, we have a 28-year-old, I can't say for sure she's a socialist, but she is uh, endorsed by the American uh, Democratic Socialist Party of America and a lot of uh, socialist Marxist type organizations. And she's a Bernie Sanders type politician. So I'm going to assume that she's a socialist. Her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she unseated uh, Joe Crowley in a New York primary for the House of Representatives, which is notable because Joe Crowley has been in office for, gosh, I, I can't even find it here, a long, long time. Uh, so I think what you're seeing, Thomas, is you are seeing the pendulum swing farther to the left as a response of the left to Bernie uh, to to Donald Trump. So like your friend who can't stand Trump, he he or she may have been in the middle initially, but is now swinging hard left. And I've seen it on the right too. people who were centrist uh, but leaned right are now feeling defensive and are retreating to the defensive lines of Donald Trump. And it's getting very, very polar interesting and also a little bit scary what do you think is this really a left right thing or is it a corporation not corporation thing let me explain what i mean so sure this guy was more centrist 
in, on paper, this hardcore Democrat who's been a Democrat for a long time. Although I imagine on the actual issues, if you were to put them on a voter guide, they wouldn't be that different. The difference between a hardcore Democrat and a, you know, really um, kind of just regular Democrat don't seem that different to me. And maybe to people who are more in that camp, you know, zebras can tell each other apart. But I think the bigger difference is that um, they he's been in office for a long time, which means he's been getting lots and lots of lobby money for a long time. And he's more in bed with the people who are donating money to him than he is with his actual voters. And I think that's actually the bigger issue. And that's what we saw with Trump and Clinton. Clinton was very much in bed with the people who were giving her money, even when it didn't make sense for her ideology. She would make compromises on her ideology and, you know, give a speech for Goldman Sachs, right? A good Democrat doesn't take money from big banks, right? That undermines your ideology. And yet she was doing ah. that. And, and I suspect the same with this guy, where it, it wasn't that he didn't check the right boxes. We have the same problem on the right, right? These people who've been in office for a long time, they're, you know, they check the box of, yes, I want to support the troops. Yes, I'm pro-life, you know, all the kind of classic uh, Republic, yes, small government. But when you look at what they're actually doing, it often doesn't line up with with those boxes that they check on a voter guide. It lines up with the people who are giving them money, where they're wanting to regulate things. The biggest thing is creating regulations that benefit big business. And Republicans do it and Democrats do it. That's the biggest thing from my perspective. Uh, the left actually wants more regulations because in their worldview, regulations hurt big business, often because they've never actually worked for a big company and they don't understand how regulations are so beneficial at pushing away competition and making life for yep. big businesses mm -hmm. easier. Um, and, but I, I get that. And what's interesting is it used to be whoever has the most money uh, wins is a general rule. There's a strong correlation between having more spending more money and getting more votes. Trump spent far less money than Hillary overall and spent way less money per vote. I think he spent like $2 less per vote than Hillary did. Like it was a significant amount less. And what we're finding is that you can't buy your way into elections like you used to, partly because I think of the internet and so many news sources that um, people are able to get the truth from. And the fact that I think there's a bias. I'm definitely this way. If I get more mail from somebody, I'm less likely to vote for them because I know that they're getting the money for those mail pieces from lobbyists, from corporations that don't have my interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart. And corporations, publicly traded ones, tend to be sociopaths in the sense that they don't, as a corporation, have a conscience. They are, you know, everyone is, there's, it's disintermediated leadership. Right. They have a board of directors that are appointed by other corporations whose boards are uh, directed by other corporations. And there's no personality. There's no human with reputation at the top. And it tend, they don't tend to be loving and compassionate. Uh, companies can be that way. Typically, if they're owned by a family, if they're owned by a single person whose reputation is on the line, they're absolutely that way. But uh, the publicly traded ones don't tend to be that way. And when they start influencing policy, it can get very scary. That's interesting. Uh, interesting way to phrase it. Um, corporate sociopathy. Uh, I agree with you 100% on that one. Corporate sociopathy. One of the things I, I I tell people is be careful who you give your loyalty to. 
Um, for those who don't know out there, I, uh, I have been a United States Marine, was active duty for uh, about six years and still a reservist. Marines are indoctrinated, indoctrinated from the very beginning to give their loyalty to the Marine Corps. And one of the things I've learned over the years is while I'm very proud to be a Marine, is that the Marine Corps as an entity is made up of a large group of people who by and large don't care about the individual. They will chew you up and spit you out like bubblegum without a second thought. You give your loyalty to individuals, which is why I'm such a big fan of smaller businesses. That said, large businesses do employ a lot of people and people hate large businesses until they go out of business and those people don't have jobs anymore. And those people often become very sad very quick. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you that it, it, it there's there's a lot having corporations as legal entities in the political process is is very scary. Now, whether the reaction, uh, whether that vote last night in New York or the vote uh, for Donald Trump, um, what is it, almost two years ago now, is a reaction against corporate money? I think that's a part of it. Is it a reaction against the Citizens United uh, Supreme Court decision? I think it's a part of it, but I don't think it's the entirety of it. Um, I think... It, it may have formed the basis. It may have been the the garden bed, but I think it's gone beyond that now. You look at the central issues today, like the one we discussed yesterday, which is immigration. You have the left view. You have the right view, uh, or you know the the, the Supreme Court decision that upholding President Trump's travel ban. You have the left view and the right view, <laughs> and you have these two disparate camps. And a lot of times the centrists, what I've noticed, once again on social media, I'm still out to lunch on whether you know this reflects real life or if it's just a social media thing, you'll have the centrist try to promote a centrist view and they will just get torn apart by the polls. So there's no happy spot for the centrists who are just trying to rationalize and be reasonable because they get torn apart by the polls. And so the the natural reaction of a social human being is to you you got to pick a camp. You cannot it's really scary to be out there alone and unafraid by yourself. It's a very very uh conscious uh, mentally painful thing for a human being to be alone. So you force these people in the camps. There was one tweet I saw yesterday from someone who is fairly centrist uh but leans right. And that person, this is kind of what made me start thinking about it, made the comment that it seems like the, uh, the United States of America is turning into a party not of liberals and conservatives, not of Republicans and Democrats, not of the left versus right, but of socialists versus Trumpists and uh, Bernie type socialists versus Trumpists. And uh, she made the mention and she did not vote for Trump in the, in the past election that if she had to choose between the two, how did she phrase it? I'll go with the Trumpy GOP all day long over Marxism. And I agree with her. And if I have to go one or the other, I'm in that same boat. So this, you know, I think we're circling back around to the original question, which was, you know, does social media, which I, which I, you know, have been beaten on this whole podcast, does it reflect society? And I'm going to uh, bring this around. I want to discuss more, Thomas, your friends who are not at all on social media or watch the news. Have you talked to them about politics and what do they think about politics in our nation today? 
Yeah, so what we need are radical moderates. What we often have are quiet moderates who are moderate in their political opinions and moderate in their volume. And so you have the la- the left, which is really loud, and the right, which is really loud, and the moderates are not being loud. They're uh, and often people in the middle are just kind of trying to kind of average out the extremes rather than actually having a position that is a true kind of centrist path. They're like, no, this is actually what I believe in. It's kind of a central centrist collection of views. Uh, so this one friend I'm thinking of, she has libertarian-ish views, but I don't know if she votes anymore. I think she her big thing is like, conscious apathy where she's choosing not to know and not to care and just to live a happy life and not worry about politics. I don't think I could ever do that. I think I care too much. Um, you know, I, I care about the direction the country is going in, even if it does make me sadder to try to be involved and try to be a voice. <laughs> um, right. Like it, I totally agree with her position that she's a happier person, not following this. Um, but, um, I'm willing to potentially sacrifice some happiness. And that's kind of what I want this show to be. At least I feel like I'm a radical moderate in the sense that I am not a hardcore right wing person or a hardcore left wing person, but I do hold my opinions pretty strongly. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I, and I think that both sides need to be, um, held to account, so to speak. And, by their own people and they're not doing that. Like when the right is being disingenuous and is lying, you don't hear people on the right calling them out on it. And when the left is being crazy town, you don't hear people on the left calling them out on it. They, there's this whole like, Oh, well you just protect your own. Don't criticize another Republican. And I feel like in the long run, the winning strategy is to have the party and and have the ideology that's the cleaner party and the cleaner ideology, the one that's more free of corruption, more free of of liars and um, you know people who are trying to deceive and is more honest and transparent and um, clear. And I think that long term, that that is what the electorate is wanting. In the short term, you know tricks work but i i don't think it works in the long term and i think that's what we're seeing with this uh election in new york well and it's interesting because even old sololinsky and his rules for radicals mentioned specifically that a political tactic that is a drag which is i interpreted as being very negative in nature will eventually become a drag and people will abandon it so i wonder if if uh <laughs> I've already seen uh, from what I would consider fairly level-headed people the mention of a soft civil war. Uh, I've seen those type of, of, of mentions out there in the in the, in the internet. Um, and, you know, I can't remember my original point. Oh, yeah, my original point that I'm trying to get to uh, before my, my brain sidetracked me was I have actually seen, Thomas, a rise of a radical moderate. And the point I want to make to you is a spectrum of uh, poli- uh, spectrum of politics as I have seen it, uh, watching it and reading it over the years. Is you know, back in the, the the old days of Rush Limbaugh, you had the liberals and the conservatives, and liberals was a dirty word to conservative, and conservative was a dirty word to a liberal. Well, I think the 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 pendulum has swung so far to the left and right on the political spectrum where now you have progressives, which are different from liberals, because some a lot of the liberal um, uh, intellectual that I've been listening to are actively trying to distance themselves from this move called progressivism, which is 
fast becoming uh, synonymous with uh, socialism and Marxism. And then uh, same thing on the right. We have people like Ben Shapiro who are tepid supporters of Trump, but are not afraid to voice their opposition of Trump. And he does that at significant risk of being torn down by the polls. And it happened uh, just the other day. And I can't remember what the issue was about. But uh, he made a statement that was uh, that was not supportive of the president, and he got torn apart and called a cuck uh, by the by the the, the Trump crowd for uh, not supporting the president. So I think you have on the right you have the 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 MAGA Trump crowd, which is you know kind of far to the right, and the left you have the Bernie socialist crowd, which is kind of far to the left, and all of a sudden, an interesting point. All of a sudden. Now, the definition of a liberal is more, and as I see it, has become more centrist. A liberal is no longer far left. A liberal is now center left. And a conservative or a neocon, what have you, is now center right. And I will point to the examples of the intellectuals I follow. Uh, I consider them intellectuals. Um, people like uh, Dave Rubin um, uh, on the left, or people like Ben Shapiro on the right, who are now for all intents and purposes, more moderate than the extremes of their uh, own own party identifications, of, the, of their own wings. So I do think you have a radical, not a radical, I think you have a vocal, moderate population building steam. I, I would like to consider myself one of those. Um, people who are, quote unquote, free speech absolutists. Um, and the liberals will say, yeah, it's, it's okay for a baker to, uh, deny, um, someone who wants to bake an LGBT, uh, cake. And at the same time, people on the right will say, yeah, it's absolutely the red hen, uh, owner's right to deny service to a political ideology that she doesn't like. It's their right. Uh, that, that's something that's, it's, it's, it's part of a freedom of speech and part of a freedom of business that we in the United States represent. So you have these two people agreeing on fundamentally the same issue, which is freedom of speech, freedom of expression, but they're opposite sides of the left and right. And I think that's, I think that's the moderate center that, that you're striving for. And it's, it's building steam. Let's hope. And, you know, because I don't think that supporting the constitution and the principles of the bill of rights is, you know, a radical position, although it seems radical right now. And it is true that we go through seasons where politics is more polarized and politics is more unified. The primary unifying force in politics is to have a, a war, a popular war with an external threat. So being September invaded, 11th. yeah, being invaded is incredibly powerful for unifying um, disparate factions. And the best example of this is from ancient Greece. You have Sparta and you have Athens, and these people hate each other. They, they're constantly at war. When a Spartan finds an Athenian, they'll kill each other, all things being equal. But then they get invaded by Persia, and they're like, yeah, maybe we should team up. <laughs> so, hey, Athenians, <laughs> exactly. you're really good at boats. Why don't you all fight the Persians at sea? And uh, Spartans, we're really good at like fighting on the ground and we have really good soldiers. So maybe we'll fight the Persians on land. And the invasion of the Persians ultimately brought the Greeks together for a short time. And we saw that with World War II and for the during the Cold War, really, the entirety of the Cold War, there was this bipartisan consensus on foreign policy. 
where Democrats and Republicans really did not disagree on foreign policy. And I remember uh, in the presidential debates, the foreign policy segment was always so boring because there was no real difference. And yet they still had to debate. And so the big debate, and they would talk for five minutes about bilateral or multilateral discussions with North Korea. And like, and that was the nuanced difference that one party believed in multilateral uh, talks and the other one uh, wanted bilateral talks. Or maybe it was how many members in the multilateral talks, right? Should you include China or not? And I was like, man, that is, that is a really minor disagreement. <laughs> it's like, that is, that is really in the weeds. <laughs> and that's like what you're fighting over. Whereas Trump now rec- represents a totally fundamentally different shift in foreign policy where he's like, we should not um, be a part of these big alliances. We should not work with the community as a whole. We need to make agreements with each country individually. So he doesn't want these big associations. Instead, he wants to make deals with England specifically, not with the EU, with Germany specifically, not the EU. And with, you know, not a trans-Pacific trade partnership, but a deal specifically with China. And that's a big shift. Like, that's something that we haven't seen in a very, very long time, which is an actually different view of foreign policy. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out uh, as we have swung to the polls. And it is interesting as the right has gotten more right. If the Democrats would have just stayed in the middle, I think they could very easily have won uh, if they could have found an honest middle. But the problem is right now the middle is the like bought and paid for. It's the radicals who are often the more honest. We've got to find those radical centrists if you want uh, to find a path forward. Well, I have a book for you if you do. It's called Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And uh, while I don't necessarily agree with uh, socialism and communism, the man makes a lot of good points about how to mobilize a political base. And it's actually a really good book. I recommend anybody who's interested in politics and power politics to read it. I'll uh, I'll go read the Communist Manifesto again, Thomas, because uh, I think it's Sun Tzu that said, uh, know your enemy. Um, and while I won't necessarily say enemy, because an enemy is someone generally that you want to kill and defeat, uh, I'll say opponent as a softer word, as a part of my radical moderation. You're going to start growing that uh, ponytail. You're going to start smoking that marijuana. You're going to start uh, wearing tie-dye. I can see it now. I Former doubt Marine. It, <laughs> I doubt it. Well, we want to hear what you think. Uh, Feel free to drop us a line. You can reach us at libertybuzzard.com. Leave a comment on this show. This is episode 12. I've been Thomas Umstadt. I'm Dustin Hammett. And thank you for listening to Liberty Buzzard. (laughs) 